This is the Mojo, the Meaning of Life and Business podcast, where life and business intersect. Hosted by Jennifer Glass, CEO of Business Growth Strategies International and BGSI Coaching. We are dedicated to your success. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mojo, the meaning of life and business. Every now and then, you've probably heard the idea, we're stuck in a rut. Can't do anything, can't get anywhere. As the saying goes, there's a great cloud that just seems to be traveling over us all the time and we can't get away from it. I'm not necessarily just talking about depression. However, that can be something that impacts us as business owners. But where we go, how we get out of the rut is really important because we need to really have a good idea in terms of what it is that we're doing and how we can really focus on the pieces that we need to be focusing on to be making such a difference. And so I have a really great guest on the show today who's going to help us understand more in terms of what is getting out of the rut? What does it mean to be stuck in it? How do we navigate it? How do we even identify it? And where do we go from there? Before I bring our guest on though, let me tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Corey Wagner graduated from Marquette School of Dentistry in 1991. Instead of working as an associate for someone else, he bought an existing practice from two doctors who were ready to retire. After many trials and tribulations of being a new doctor and a business owner, He turned a $200,000 a year practice into a $1 million a year practice in just four years. At the nine-year mark, his practice was producing $2.5 million. In 2012, he purchased a second practice and took it from $400,000 a year to $1.2 million in just a single year. Dr. Wagner, during his career, was also chosen to be a national lecturer and spoke around the country to 250 dentists at a time regarding the use of the intraoral camera in dentistry and the business of dentistry. He sold his practice to a corporation in 2017. In 2019, Dr. Wagner was chosen to be that company's chief clinical officer and oversee all of their clinical operations in 120 practices. Corey, welcome to the show. Jennifer, thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. So let me ask you, Corey, I mentioned the whole growth and everything that you've done, but let's talk about the rut because that's really where I introduced the show today. And when it comes down to the rut, like I said, we got stuck in it in all different ways, all different reasons. Before we get into how we get out, let me ask you though, how did you even identify that you're in a rut? Because too many business owners, just we don't even see that we're stuck in it. Well, when when I get people to call me and or if they don't call, but maybe their team even calls or, you know, investigates into someone like me who can come in and coach or consult. Um, generally, you know, th- there's there's signs, right? There's signs and symptoms of somebody who's stuck. And I mean, one of the biggest things, it really doesn't have to do with the technicality of the business. And I think it doesn't take a genius to see a business owner who's unhappy. 
I mean, if you're really humming along and you're profitable and things are good, most business owners would be pretty happy. But when that isn't happening, but yet you feel like you're doing the right things, but you're not getting the right results, well, that's going to that's gonna take you down. And the unfortunate reality is, as, as they say in business, right, that old adage, you can't keep doing the same thing, expecting different results, right? That's the the definition of insanity that happens a lot though right people people do it they were told that this works that you do it this way and if you do it it's going to work out well i'm here to tell you that isn't always the truth and in dentistry and i'm sure it's the pretty much the same and generalized for most small businesses but i know in dentistry for a fact when you're in dental school and it sounds like oh you're really a you know you're an educated person yeah they don't teach you anything about business that is the sad fact. You were in dental school, you're in college for four years, you're in dental school for four years, and you get very, very little business training. So you're really good clinically at getting out there and taking care of teeth. But those teeth are attached to people. So that's a problem, number one. <laughs> and number two, there's all kinds of business things you have to understand. And if you don't, it can slip by you and it can be it can be just a downward spiral. And again, a lot of a lot of these people just are they're just stuck. They don't know how to deal with their patients, real people. They really don't know how to communicate with the team, which is hugely important. And they just don't know a lot about the business. And how do I run this and how do I make this work? So we got we got several things to to deal with at the time. Absolutely. And you're so right in terms of school not training us to be business owners. Right. School in general is taught to have a job. So you yeah. go, you learn a particular skill, you do it, and someone else is paying yeah. you and you don't pay attention uh, to the business side. So we realized, or you realized that at some point you needed to really be making a change in yeah. what you were doing. What was the, if you will, the turning point that made you say, this is it, this is what I have to do because otherwise I'm going to be stuck? Well, I was in business for mm, probably just the first two or three years. Now, I was kind of gutsy coming out of school. I did not want to work for a lot of other people in the options coming out of even a great school like Marquette, which was, at the time was rated like second or third in the country. I mean, this this you know, is variable every year it changes. But at the time they were highly ranked. Came out and again, no business education whatsoever, but I just wanted to get in there and I wanted to do my dentistry. I did not want to work as an associate. A lot of the places around Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin were hiring dentists to work as hygienists. That's not why I went to school. No offense to the hygienists. They're wonderful and they're great at what they do. And doctors are terrible hygienists, by the way. <laughs> Usually they're just not trained to do it very well. So all of a sudden, it, it was just, the, there were several things that happened in the first first two to three years. One thing was, I all of a sudden got a tax bill for about $30,000. I didn't have wow. $30,000. I didn't have half of that. And I sat in the corner and cried. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was going to lose a practice I just started basically in the last couple of years. And that right there, that triggered me. That knew, that made me realize that I had to get some business training. I didn't care where I got it. I was going to fly around the country to learn from the best of the best. And that's where I started. And I did. In that same time period, not being very astute as a business owner, I was 
well, for the lack of better terms, I was robbed. One of my office managers at the time was on the take. She was, this was back in the old, this was before computers were really, really mainstream in everybody's office, right? Even at the front desk, I don't know if you even recall or if any patients recall somebody opening this giant piece of this book, it's called a pegboard system, and you wrote everything down. Well, when you write things down in pencil that people paid you or that the patient was coming in, there's also a racer on the back of that pencil that can take that out. So you can take out the amount that that person paid you and you can take some of the money, put it in your pocket. That was to the tune of about $10,000 that was taken from me. I had an office manager that didn't know what she was doing. And I was so naive. I didn't know what I was doing that for several months, I couldn't realize why no money was coming in. We had $60,000 in billables in her drawer because we didn't realize that she didn't know what she was doing. She just wanted to bury it and hide it and got away from it as long as she could until we figured it out, until I figured it out. So at that point, you you go down and when you get about as low as you think you can get, you're either going to do one of two things. You're either going to fight or you're going to quit. Well, I'm not a quitter. So I fought and I, I worked my way back up. So my business now to coach and consult with other dentists and even small business people for all that matters, it, it, it honestly, there's so many parallels. It isn't just in dentistry, although that's probably where that's where my niche is the best because that's what I can help people and did for 30 years. Um, there's just there's just an awful lot to learn. And I really, really want to not let anybody make those kind of mistakes for a number of years before they can get it going. If they can prevent that, they can be up and profitable very quickly. So again, but if you don't know, you don't know, right? Right. Absolutely. And I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, growing up, our family dentist happened to grow up with my father. They were very, very close growing up. And so we would get special appointment times because, you know, he right. normally wouldn't be in on Sundays, but that was the day we were able to go out to the Bronx to see him. Uh, great. And so, you know, we'd go and at the time I personally was into myself becoming a dentist when I grew up. And so I would sit there and I would act as the assistant as Harold was working on my dad. And uh, so the whole thing, I mean, I learned how to grind up the amalgam and all of that in terms like the process. And here I was, you know, I was nine, 10, 11 years old and <laughs> You know, my job was hold the suction thing in my dad's yeah. mouth. It's more often my dad than my mom. I have to say, my brothers, forget it. I wasn't allowed anywhere near them. But, um, you know, it's like, yeah, the older sibling is going to find a way to really make it, you know, less than comfortable. Yeah, but, sure. Yeah. Um, but at least with my parents and I was able to do that. And I learned so much of what happened behind the scenes. Yeah. But again, I wasn't learning the business. And so, like you're saying, I mean, Harold was great being the dentist and I learned the bedside manner from him because he always was talking and trying to really find out how everything was going as he's doing everything. Because if you don't think about what you're actually doing in the mouth, it doesn't bother you as much. Yep. So I learned that. But anyway, getting back, though, to the whole issue of what happened in your situation, I mean, that's just absolutely terrible. You know, 60,000 in billables, 10,000 stolen from you and $30,000 tax bill. I mean, that's just absolutely wow yeah. um, in terms of that. But so let's look though at 
where you started going. So you mentioned that you started traveling, trying to really understand the business aspect of running a dental practice. How did you start, first of all, figuring out who to go to? And how did you realize the pertinent takeaways that you really needed to focus on? Because one of the problems of going to conferences, seminars, and everything is overload, right? I mean, you sit there, you take 15 pages of notes, and you come back to the office and you're like, what the heck do I do first? Right. Well, and let's face it, a lot of those things, when you go to a seminar or a symposium, some sort of continuing education, a lot of it is a little warm and fuzzy kind of, you know, regurgitated information, right? Not necessarily going to help you. A lot of the stuff you probably already know. So what you're really looking for is those couple hidden gems, right? You're looking for some meat and potatoes. Like you said, what can I implement ASAP? What what is actually going to make sense? So you do have to, you know, you have to use your own, you know, hopefully intellectual being to to decipher through some of that stuff and sift through it and, and make sure that you're implementing what's appropriate. So to find it wasn't exactly as easy as it would be right now. Right now, I mean, we have so many you know, uh, uh, things on the internet and everywhere else to go. And there's reviews and ratings, right? That helps so much. There wasn't much of that going on back in 1991. I mean, we were, you know, things were pretty new and there wasn't, there wasn't all kinds of rating systems on Google and everything else that you could, you could figure out. I did just figure out that if I went to the uh, Wisconsin Dental Association, part of the American Dental Association, uh, I would get some information from them and they were helpful. They would, they would give me certain names of certain seminars that I could go to on this subject, that subject, and the other. And I just tried to prioritize my own on my own that, you know, what did I need? What did I need to learn first or fastest? There were some clinical things in there. And mostly in the beginning, there were even more business things. I got to a lot more of the clinical things as we went to started to realize that just because you learned how to place a really nice filling or do a decent crown, could you do it better? And I always thought there might be a better way. Well, I definitely knew there were better ways in business because I already knew I didn't know much, right? And I was not going to let that tax bill come and surprise me ever again. I was not going to let somebody else, you know, take my money or the money of the practice, you know, in general, it wasn't, wasn't going to be taken down. So um, yeah, it wasn't as easy back then to figure it out, but like right now there's so many resources available to really any small business person to figure out where they could go. And again, where would be the best continuing education uh, seminars, workshops, whatever to to go to? So um, I was I was lucky because the ones I went to when I did come back and implement again. And and to your point, the overload is real, right? You can't you can't implement absolutely everything when you get back from one of those things, and you have to be very careful because it isn't just you. And that's one thing business owners have to remember. I got very excited. I didn't take my team in the beginning to those things. I didn't have the money. I don't think I had the money to get myself to those things, but I was going to at least put it on credit and then work it out later because I knew I needed it. So you get back. Now you've got a team of five, six, seven, whatever your team might be. That was mine at the time. (laughs) I had to now get on board with these new ideas. That's not always easy either. It's easier to take your team to those things and have them be part of it so you can all get excited together. Because all it takes is a couple people to to naysay what you're doing or, oh, that's never going to work. You're going to have a trouble. You're going to have a problem. That's going to be trouble, right? You need, you need your team on board. So, so that was, that was another lesson in that, but um, yeah, you're right. You have to implement things 
kind of piecemeal, sort of. You got to be careful. A couple things at a time, get them down, get them good, and then go on to the next couple things that you want to implement. But try to do it all at once, six, seven big items, big you know, things that really are good may, may make a positive impact, still going to get lost. It's, it's too tough to get everything right. Next thing you know, you're a jack of all trades, master of none sort of thing. And then now you're just all kind of swimming in this mediocrity instead of getting really good at the few things you implemented. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And I mean, it's interesting because there's a couple of things that I wanted to respond with that one was it isn't only your team in the office. It's also your team at home that has yeah. to be behind a lot of those changes too, True. because you don't know necessarily how it's going to impact the home life with some of the changes that happen in the office. You know, is it going to be more time at home, less time at home? Is it going to be more hours where you're going to be stuck yeah. to your phone or device yeah. now? Um, so true. things along those lines. So it's definitely, how does it impact your home also? And the other thing also that I wanted to touch on is that if you implement too many things at once, you can't gauge the return on what you're doing and to know what you need to focus on more or less, because if you're doing 10 things at once, well, what really made the impact and is something pulling back on the impact that I'm trying to do because I'm not really seeing the full result. Absolutely. So that's something to keep in mind. And so always implement small measure, repeat measure. And absolutely. And, this, and as an analogy, that should make sense to people anyway. If you're trying to lose weight, right? I'm going to lose weight, but I increased my exercise and changed my whole exercise protocol. Plus I added a couple of new supplements. Plus I changed my diet. You start to lose a little weight. Which one's working? I don't know. He just... You've changed everything. Change one thing at a time. Like you said, see if it's working, see how well it's working, gauge it, measure it. If you don't measure, you have no idea. And that is that is an important lesson I learned. And, and what you just said, I mean, that is, everybody should write that down. If you don't measure it, you have no idea what you're doing. You just don't. Absolutely. Thank you. So let me ask you, when you're going through the process and you started making these changes, how did you convince your office, your six, seven people in the office, how did you convince them to be, listen, yes, I'm the boss, but we're a team here. We're not, you know, the, or maybe you were, the boss says this and everyone jumps, but you yeah, probably were more the tough. team kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So if you are the team environment, how do you really get everyone's buy-in? Because very often I've been doing this for so long and no way are you going to make me try and really jump mm -hmm. through 30 more hoops just to do something that I've been doing this way for 10 years. That is a tough one, right? And, and just exactly what you said, right? There's going to be, there's going to be two different basic ways of doing this. You can pull off that old, I'm the boss. It's my way or the highway. You can try that. I tried it. I'm going to be honest. I tried that way back in the beginning not not super strong arm kind of thing but yeah i pulled the like you know i don't need to explain to you sort of thing and and let's we're doing this without the buy-in it's super tough so start to learn is that everything and pretty much every position and a dentist is no different 
people hate to say it and people hate to hear it. People hate to acknowledge it and believe it. But we're all in sales. Sales isn't an ugly word, but people try to make it an ugly word. Now, if if you come in for a cassette and I try to sell you an eight track, that's a bad salesman, right? So I'm not selling you what you asked for. That's That's different than ethical selling. Find out what you came in for, the problem that you have, and give an answer on how to solve it. Let you see why that makes sense and how I can do good for you. That's ethical selling. You need to do that sometime with your team. And I figured that out too. And again, maybe the hard way, because sometimes in the beginning, when you try to kind of pull that boss thing, that doesn't always work. And more often than not, nowadays, it really doesn't work. So you have to figure out how am I going to sell this to them? And, and quite honestly, selling isn't really hard if you believe it. And that's one thing I heard that for years and years and years from my patients that, you know, doc, I really like this. And I think this is going to, but you know what, gosh, you're so passionate about this. I mean, all right, I'm good. I, I, I believe you. I trust you. Let's go. And I think that's what it is, right? You, you, I don't think you can be passionate. You'd be a good liar, maybe, but really, can you be, can you really sell something to somebody and let them see your heart and your soul and, 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 and how you're thinking just by selling something and trying to dupe them versus really believing it. So if I really believe something, I don't really feel, and I really don't think I ever had a tough time really selling something to my team if I really believed it. I did try to sell a couple of things along the way that I wasn't sure wasn't going to work. And honestly, the, the results were, were hit and miss because I wasn't sure myself. But the one couple of things that I really knew over time that were going to work, it wasn't that hard. And when you get that person that just isn't going along with everybody else, you might need to, and probably will, need to take them in privately, always privately, never in front of everybody else. That's another thing people do wrong in small business. You just don't berate somebody or argue with somebody in front of everyone else. You take them in and you have a nice come to Jesus meeting. You have a, you have a, you have a sit down and you find out what their objections are and you try to get past them. You try to work with them because you do still need to get them in. And again, Powerful stuff is when you can get that one naysayer in line with everybody else, or at least on the team. They may not buy in 100%, but if you get them to at least try and give it a period of time, 30 days, 60 days, whatever it is that you're trying to do to see and then talk again, that that's super, super helpful. And again, one of those things that I just learned along the way that I didn't do quite right in the beginning, but it's it's super impactful when you get your team going. And again, you have to sell it if you want it, but you better believe in it. Without a question, I wanted just to add to your point a moment ago when you said sales is not a four letter word. Uh, I don't know if you are following Grant Cardone or not, but Grant Cardone <laughs> is one of the big uh, sales business uh folks out there he's got a whole bunch of books right. and in one of his books seller be sold he talks about the idea that we are always selling that kids are the best salespeople in the world <laughs> now you're probably wondering what does that mean and the answer is think about a four-year-old and now you're probably thinking there's no way a four-year-old is a good salesperson. Mm. And they are the best salesperson because when they throw the temper tantrum, you're buying whatever it is that they're throwing the temper tantrum on. <laughs> it's true. 
right? You're going in the store, you're trying to get out of there. Your four-year-old is having a meltdown in the middle of the cereal aisle because they want that box of cereal because it has the toy they want. You're buying that box of cereal. (laughs) And so they are the best salespeople, but we are selling ourselves all the time. You're going out on a date. You're selling yourself to your prospective partner. You're asking for a loan. You're selling yourself to the bank. You're asking for whatever, and you're selling yourself. So the idea of sales does not have to be that four letter word. And we just have to be comfortable with that whole concept of selling. And like you said, when you get someone on your team that moves from the no way am I ever going to do this to, all right, I'm not going to say anything against it. Let's just let the chips fall where they might. That's a huge gain also in that whole process to really figure out exactly how you move with that. So with that said, let me ask you, did you run into situations where you had the hell no, I'm not doing this uh, kind of situation or did everyone kind of, no. all right, let's yeah, see. I, I think everybody are. runs into that. I certainly ran into that a few times. Um, um, once I had to bring in another salesperson, another person from that company that I wanted to try their protocol, their product. And it was really a protocol was uh, for hygiene, for periodontal issues. Um, And I really needed more of an expert, right? And I, because I think there was a time and with the staff I had at the time, that team, there were a couple people who saw me as this guy who loved change, but who maybe just loved it a little too much just for the sake of change. Now that wasn't true, but that's how they saw it. And as we say, right, uh, perception equals reality. If that was how they perceived me, then then that was it. I mean, I'm not sure I could change their perception. However, if you bring in somebody else with some absolute truth, with some numbers, statistics, things, and I always tried to do that as well. It wasn't, I tried to never sell anything based on just a feeling and, oh, I really, I just get a vibe about this. I really think it's going to be good. I, I sold most things with information, with statistics, with numbers, with graphs, with charts, with uh, proof, you know, things that had happened before. I rarely jumped on a product or anybody's protocol or lessons that were kind of fly by night. Because in the very beginning of my career, I did some of that too. I bought some some things and dentists are notorious for this. We get really excited about a product and then it sits in the basement. Most dentists, if you went in the basement of their clinic have hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment that's useless that didn't work out because they bought it too soon and they they were early adopters and they didn't wait for it to be really sussed out and proven. So having having those people who want to kind of buck what you want to do, yeah, that's 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 really tough. Get an expert in there, use some proof, this and that, or there was a time I'm, I'm thinking once it's almost making me laugh a little bit. I kind of had to make a bet with them. And, you know, the thought of having a prize for themselves at the end, and I wasn't going to take anything from them, but if I was wrong, then I'll get you X or I'll pay you X for this, but you got to try and we got to give this all. And the funny thing is, was everything, but one thing that I did try that, that we did really worked out well. Another thing that I tried was from a consultant. They sold it to me. It sounded really good, but it really didn't even take me more than a few months to figure out. And, and, you know, I'll give my team a lot of credit. They had come to me, they had expressed their doubts and their opinions over the course of it, but they all really tried hard. 
They really did. And nobody was trying to, I, I would have known and it would have been, you know, a, a dismissal sort of thing if I thought somebody was trying to undermine me on purpose. I don't think I ever had that kind of team. I don't think that ever happened. But I saw too that they were right. And that's the other thing as really a successful business owner. And particularly, I think nowadays, you have to listen to your team. You cannot shut them out 100%. You cannot take this I'm the boss, I stand on top of the mountain and you're peasants and you look up to me. Man, if you do that, I just don't see you getting anywhere. I just don't, it just doesn't work. And and I actually got to the point where one of the big lessons I learned along the way was, yes, there were things that I, I didn't like to hear, but it wasn't really what you told me, it was how you told me. But I ended up giving everybody in my practice permission to tell me when they didn't like something, this and that. I just asked him, do it in a respectful way. And like I would do to you, pull me into the office privately and then express whatever you want. And I'll tell you, I learned some really good things from that. I changed some things in the office that I didn't even see that my key people saw. And do you know what happens when you change something based on what your team members say? They feel so valued and appreciated and heard that all of a sudden their work level goes up even higher. It's, it's really quite amazing. And I'm not sure enough people do that because I think we do. We get frustrated um, day to day, things happen and, and people just get, we, we wanna crack the whip instead and tell everybody what to do instead of really having everyone kind of run your business together. Granted, you're the policeman, you run it overall and you oversee and you do initiate things, but if you give you give your team members some some freedom to help you, it's kind of amazing what can happen. I have to amplify that point with an actual story that happened with someone on my team. Uh, several years ago, I had an assistant of mine who she was given a task. I told her I need you to confirm this speaking engagement and decline another. Well, she completely got it messed up. Oh no. She did the opposite of what she was supposed to do. She declined the wrong one and confirmed the wrong one. <laughs> Luckily, because she copied me on all of the messages that were being sent, I was able to undo the harm before the harm was written in stone. Nice. So I was able to deal with that. But then when I spoke with her about it, I told her, I said, you know, I need to speak with you and I'm going to lay it out on the table and I'm going to make you be the one that's going to tell me how we're going to handle this. I explained the situation. She understood exactly what happened. She understood that she was wrong and that she was unclear on what needed to really be done. I told her, you tell me though, how do we move forward? Do I end the relationship or do we continue? We ended up continuing. And I told her when she has any questions from now on, I don't care how mundane the question is, you're going to ask me first. That way you're crystal clear on the outcome. If it was somehow ambiguous Uh, to begin with. And like you said, she was so much better in terms of the process moving forward from there, 
because she understood that I wasn't the boss, you know, the mean lady who was coming down and saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> it was the one who's really look. And I tell all of my people when I bring them on, I say, you're my family yeah. and that's how I treat you. It's and true. I expect the same in return, but sometimes family has to show tough love. Yes. And so listen, this is what we need to do. Tell me how we handle it. And that's exactly what I did. So we were able to make that happen. And um, thank you for bringing that uh, idea because we really need to hear it sometimes a little bit more. Um, so thank you. So let's uh, pivot for a moment here. You went from $400,000 to a million dollar practice in four years with yeah. your first practice. Yeah. First of all, the growing pains on that. Oh, yeah. And the um, scalability that you were doing. I mean, you had a 5X return in four years. Mm -hmm. How were you managing the growth? Because sometimes you have that kind of a growth and the business can implode. Yeah. Um, honestly, you know, that that seems sort of fast, but it, it didn't seem that fast at the time. Um, it seemed a lot faster when I bought the second practice, when I, you know, quadrupled that or tripled that in just one year. But by then, a lot of lessons were learned. Now it's just taking those systems and applying them, right? And I think I think that word that I just said, systems, is very crucial in most businesses. It doesn't have to be dentistry, any small business. You have got to figure out your systems and, and, and really live and die by those systems a little bit. You have to write things out. You have to know what that person's doing, what that person's doing, my assistant is doing here, my front desk receptionist, what are the tasks? And, and that's, and again, all these little things that, I, that I've written down that I've learned along the way, that's, that's one of them, right? So don't just put people in, in a position and say, there you go, get at it and, you know, and we'll talk later and good luck. I mean, what? You can't do that. You have to train your people, train, which kind of segues into something else a little bit. And you, the business owner, you do not have to do everything in that business, but you better understand every facet of your business. And when I had money taken from me, when I had somebody in a position that was hiding billables because they didn't know what they were doing. That isn't just on them. That's that's on me, right? Because I wasn't checking. Checks and balances are everything in business. You've got to understand your business. And whether, again, you're a dentist or something else, and I'll just use dentistry, you have to know what the receptionist is responsible for, and you need to write it out for her. She needs to understand clearly in bullet points, whatever, what her responsibilities are. Otherwise, how is she to know? How is she to know how to start the day, work the day, and finish the day with all the proper responsibilities being being finished, you know, accurately? And then there, uh, the the office manager and your assistants. I mean, you have to know what each of them are doing. So that takes some time, and that takes that takes a little bit of work on the business owner's part. But it really, really simplifies your life. Then later, so got to get through it. Little tough in the beginning but then it it makes everything a little easier but those people need to understand what what they're doing and how to do it so when once we started doing that you know that that made all the difference in the world so everybody had their things and then for me it was easy to go back in and check 
little things every day. Did this person do this, this, this? Because they understood and I understood. It was easy for checks and balances. That's a huge, that's a huge part of being successful and making that, making that happen. Um, also on the on the clinical side for me, I realized that, you know, I was a little slow. So whether again, whether it's something else, some other business or something like dentistry, you kind of need to get your speed up. So in, in anything you do, if you can do something without cutting corners, but do it a little faster, not only for me was the patient happier, no one wants to sit there for an hour and a half when you could have been in and out of that mouth in 20 to 30 minutes without cutting corners. And that sounds, that sounds like, well, how do you do that? Well, you get good, right? You get better at it. Um, and you have to be serious about that. You have to be serious about hunkering down and you need to train yourself. Again, whatever it is that you do, you have to become very good at what your responsibilities are. So nobody else in the in the office could touch teeth. Only I could. Now, you're going to be better at the billing than I am. I need to understand it, but that's your job. You're going to be better at assisting and setting up all these things because that's what you do. But when it comes down to my job, boy, I better be good at it because how are they going to feel about how they're supposed to be so great when I'm not great? So that was a big thing for me. Again, I, I not only did the business classes, but I flew around the country to learn from a lot of the best of the best with uh, clinical techniques too, so that I could service patients much better, much better care in a much timelier manner. And honestly, it, it actually even helps you keep your costs down because then you just, you're, you're doing more and you're getting better at it. But I think that, again, I think that relates to a lot of businesses. I mean, if you're taking too much time to do one thing, well, then you almost feel like you have to bill more for it, right? But if you can do it in a efficient manner, maybe you don't have to charge people as much and everybody's happy because you'll still make money because you're doing more. So I would rather work a little bit on volume than just really hitting somebody for, for a big thing. But I think that, again, I think that spans along all kinds of businesses. You got to get good, not just expect your staff to get good, but you got to get good. Right. The other point I would throw in there is the idea that before you even bring someone on, you need to know the job before you even bring them in. Because if uh -huh. you don't, you can't come up with the system that right. they then have to follow. Right. Right. I, I love that. You should spend some time. Spend some time writing down what their responsibilities and duties are, right? Because how are you going to put them in a spot or sit them at a desk? And then, like I said, just there you go. There you go. What? And I hear this all the time. I hear this from, from uh, clients and, and, and they just, some of them don't get it. I mean, they're great people. And again, they're great at what they do. Great dentists, but they don't really understand how to work these other things and work in these systems. And it's, you know, it, it, it's not that hard to learn, but it's getting that down. And you're absolutely right. I mean, if, if people don't know, they don't know. So I'm not sure how we expect these people to do a great job if we don't lay it out. Right. So let me ask you, because you mentioned speed yeah. um, in terms of one of the things that you realized you needed to work on. So how did you, or rather, what other KPIs, key performance indicators, did you choose to focus on to be making that difference, if any, in terms of the overall growth, especially, I mean, the 400 to 1.2 million yeah. um, increase in just a year is a you know sizable increase too. And again, just one year, but you already went from the first practice, you kind of yeah. knew how to navigate some of those 
um, growing pains, but was there any other KPI that you were really looking at in terms of moving forward? Yeah, actually there was. So for me, there's there's a lot of stats in dentistry that will tell you, you know, what the average length of time is to do this procedure, that procedure, and the other procedure, right? And then I started to commit, and I was, I'm always been a huge researcher. I don't even buy a Christmas present unless I research the heck out of it and figure out what's the best thing and where to get the best value, everything else. I'll spend way too much time doing that. But I figure out some really good stuff and I get great information. So I did that with myself. I had my assistants time me. So they were a little like, why? Because I just need to know. Because I think dentists in general, I think we all think we're really fast at what we do. But until you get somebody to actually time you, you realize that you think you're faster. And this gets dentists in trouble all the time because they start booking too many people in thinking. And, and again, it's, it's a great thing. One of the things I learned is that you don't just have to see a patient, wait till they're done, then see another patient, wait till they're done, then see another patient. You can kind of stagger this, but you have to stagger appropriately, right? And you can't sit three or four patients in your office while two of them have been sitting in the one room for two hours waiting for you. You can't do that. They're never coming back. People are very, very cognizant of the time they're giving you these days, and they're not going to waste their time. They're certainly not going to do it more than once or twice. That would be it. So uh, we just, we had them time me, and then I looked at those times, compared them against the, the information I had gotten and researched and realized, wow, I'm a little slow at this. I'm pretty good at that, but I'm a little slow at this, this, and this. So what courses can I take to learn better how to do this? And, and again, that's where I started to go around and learn, okay, I can do a root canal way better with this guy's technique. Again, dental school, and I'm sure anything you get, I'm sure it's law school, you name it, whatever you're going for, what you learn in school is the basics, right? You still are never done learning. You have to expand your knowledge base. And if you don't, then you kind of get what you get. You're just going to kind of sit there. But I was, I've always been hungry for that. I always wanted more. I always wanted to learn more and be able to apply more. And it's, it's so much more fun when you really have a better knowledge base because more questions that get asked to you instead of, well, I don't know. Now you actually might know. So I became very much quicker at root canals. Patients were much happier because now instead of, like I said, sitting in there for an hour and a half, I could maybe get this done. And I've got really good at them really good success rates, patients weren't hurting. And there is something in dentistry that's um, a, a very viable idea is that the less time you are on a tooth, drilling it and playing around with it, the more chance you have of not having that patient have any post-op problems or pain, right? So we don't want to heat up the tooth. We don't want to be on it too long. So time on tooth is a big thing. If you can get clinically efficient, you're going to give that patient a much better experience. Well, who doesn't love that, right? I mean, I'm a patient just as much as a doctor. I mean, I go see my my dental friends too for work. And I mean, I, I do not want to sit there longer than I have to. I want them in and I want them out and feel good later. And that's the deal, right? So, you know, nobody wants to go to the dentist, but if you go to a decent dentist and they know what they're doing and they can efficiently get you in and out, I mean, that, that, that helped the success right there. So it's just a matter of looking at, you know, and being honest with yourself and where your shortfalls are. And I knew I had them. I just had to figure out where they were. And that's where the timing, the timing of all my procedures made all the difference in the world. Cause then I could hone in on what I needed help with to make me better, which made the practice better, which made more people want to come to see us. And that just made us more successful. And then all of a sudden those, that number 
got bigger, right? Then I could do more in the same amount of time. I didn't up my hours. I actually, over time, funny enough, my consultant said, okay, you're burning out. I was working six days a week. And I mean, almost a full Saturday. And it after about three years or so, yes, I was burning out. And then he said, I need you to take uh, Saturday off. And then it wasn't more than a year after. He goes, I need you to take Friday off. I'm like, really? How am I going to ever make that? He goes, you wait. You take that extra day off and work four days hard, but have three days off. And your team does too. Wait to see the energy and how everybody, it, it worked. It was the weirdest thing. Our production went way up very quickly too. People just weren't burned out and they were so happy coming back on Monday because they had such an amazing weekend, which was now a three-day weekend every week. That was that was that was a big big uh, deal maker for us. That really helped catapult us too, which was weird. I didn't I didn't see it coming, but consultant that I had at the time actually was was very good. So burnout is real, and <laughs> yeah, we need to keep that in mind. But I'm wondering, do you when you do go to your dental friends, yeah, uh, for your own dental treatment, yeah. do you time them? Like, do you have not officially, but are you like thinking? Oh yeah. Yeah, subconsciously, I absolutely do. I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't said anything like, "Gosh, you're slow, or you're this and that." But yeah, I have an idea of how long I should be there, and uh, and I've all, I've been told, and this isn't, you know, I've been told by an accountant and by several uh, consultants I had. They said, you know, you are, you are kind of ridiculously fast at what you do. You, you've really honed in your skill, and not everybody's going to do that. It doesn't make them bad. It just, they're, they're not you. And, you know, as an owner, Dennis, and I'm guessing any owner in any business, we do have to remember that too. When we bring on associates, partners, whatever it is, we want skillful. Yeah. But they're not going to necessarily be you. And you have to be careful of that. You have to be careful of thinking that you're going to have these clones. That's not really how it works. We're all, we're all individuals and, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses and, and you you put them all together so your strengths combine and that maybe maybe some of the things they're good at is some of the things you're weaker at and that and that's kind of how i chose my associates over time too and and that helped so yeah yeah i mean they may not be as fast when they work on me as as i was but again they do such a nice job that i'm just i'm just grateful that it was uh, comfortable so absolutely yeah. so let me ask you um Another thing is you were yeah. going through all of the growth yeah. um, and the training for your front office um, mm -hmm. or front desk people, especially. Yeah. Um, did you ever mystery shop the front desk? Oh yeah. I would, I would make up voices and things that I would call in to see how they'd answer the phone. Cause usually based on, Someone coming to me, usually a patient who was not trying to get anybody in trouble, but said, you know, when I called in the other day, I really didn't get greeted the nicest way. Thank you for telling me. I'm on it. So, yes, I would do that. I would mystery call. And if it wasn't me, I would have a friend or wife or something call in and, and find out just exactly what was going on. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes it was maybe a fluke that day. But sometimes I did find out that things weren't going exactly the way they should have the way that things should be handled and patients should be treated. So yeah, and then you'd have to you'd have to address it and go in and change it. But um, you know, when you're you also have to know, like for me, I've learned a lot about the front office. Now, the dental things I went to dental people, 
But again, the front office stuff, that's not anything I knew. So I could have just, you know, struggled through that and, and made my own way to figuring out. But I also hired somebody. I think we also know we need to know when to hire other professionals that are better than us at what we're trying to learn. So I hired a couple front office people, but then I got in those classes as well as they taught my front and then I got taught. So then, oh, okay, now I know why you're doing it wrong, but now I know too. So now, now we can all work together to go forward. And then when you have somebody leave you, or if you have to make them leave you, now when you hire the next person, either you can get, bring that trainer back, which is fine, or one of your other people know how to do it so well they can train but now you can check and you know if it's actually being done right and again that was that was so huge for me because it's such a big mistake and dentists do it all the time i'm finding with clients now that they just they're you know i do dentistry i'm not interested in the front office yeah i get it but you kind of have to be a little bit again you don't have to do it but you have to understand it that's huge you have to or you'll get robbed. There's extortion. There's all kinds of things happening in these offices that people like, I didn't know she took all that money. Well, okay, I get it. And that's horrible. It shouldn't happen. But if you did your daily checks and balances, it probably could never happen as you'd see it right away. Absolutely. So let's take a turn again. And yeah. you went from having six, seven people in your, on your team so now overseeing 120 practices. How did you handle that dramatic change? Well, to be quite honest, and, and I hope I didn't mislead when I, when I put that on there, I was chosen to be the clinical director of that corporation. I did not take it. When I went through, oh God, it was six to nine months of constant meetings and um, interviews and all kinds of things. And then I got the job. And when they offered it to me, I was super excited. I had uh, all this, all these ideas and I was ready to PowerPoint and teach all the doctors I was going to go through. Oh my gosh, it was, it, I was all ready. And then we finally got down to uh, the money, my, my wage, my salary. And it was about half as much as I was making for about double the time I had to put in for what I was putting in. Isn't it always that kind of. That didn't make sense. I thought, it, and honestly, when they told me, I thought I got kicked in the gut. I, I thought I was on like candid camera or something. I was waiting for somebody to jump out and, and start laughing because I mean, I just had this awful sinking feeling as I stood there and I had to ask them twice. Oh, can you repeat that? I, I didn't think I heard what I heard. I mean, they knew exactly what I made. They knew exactly what I was doing. And this was a ginormous list of responsibilities and tasks that I had to do for about half. Mm. It was very nice to be offered that. And, and yes, I thought I deserved it. And I thought I could have done a great job for them. But I did not understand why I was being lowballed. And nobody would explain it. And I honestly took me about a week to just struggle with the idea of where I was going. And then I just figured, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Not going to do it. I would have loved to do it. So I was chosen, but I didn't take it. Okay. So let me ask you, as you look at the things that you've been doing over the last 30 plus years that you had your dental practice and now your consulting practice, um, what, would the single biggest takeaway 
be that you can say contributed to where you got you today? Take care of your team. Take care of your team. I mean, there's all kinds of things. There's so many we talked about already that are important, you know, uh, continuing education, uh, all these things, but really taking care of the team. And, and we talked about before, you know, making them part of everything, right? Listen to them. But one of the things you have to do to get there, I talk to all my clients, you, you have to incentivize. Incentivized people are the best workers. They're powerful people because they've got a reason, right? You can't ask everybody to do all these things for you for an attaboy at the end of the day, a little pat on the back. That's important. I did realize that too. I didn't appreciate my people in the beginning years, not enough. And I realized in the second half of my career, I wouldn't go home at the end of the day without stopping in by each person, ask them if they needed anything from me and thanking them for their service for the day. Now, that, that was huge. And actually, they even told me later, it went over huge. It was big for them. That's what they wanted. What they wanted, appreciation. But don't we all? Don't we all want to be appreciated, right? But I learned, and I learned this again from one of my consultants over time, to incentivize. Incentivize people are just the harder, hardest working people. Now, that doesn't mean you need to be their best buddy. That's a mistake, right? But you need to show respect and appreciation. You need to be consistent when you reprimand, but you need to address the issue and not a personal attack. But when you empower those people and give them goals and then incentivize them when they hit the goals that you make up, whatever business you're in, whatever goals you want to set, and don't make the goal too high, but make it something that isn't so easy. Because if you already hit this every year, you don't make the goal this. You eke it up a little bit, right? Let's do a little better than we did last year. And whatever parameter that is, and different businesses are going to have different things. But I'll tell you, once I incentivized my team, business just skyrocketed and and they worked so hard and and you start to, you started to see it in their faces and in everything they did they felt the business the practice was part of them and they were part of it they had a feeling of ownership you may not be giving them ownership but if you give them the feeling of ownership man life gets life gets so much better as a business owner it just does absolutely so let me ask you another question just in terms yeah. of how you see things. And yeah. that is success, the word success. I mean, yeah. what does it mean to you? Well, success is definitely a, a, a blended definition, right? It's, there's, there's a lot of parts to success and it really depends on what it means to you. But if you're asking me, um, you know, financial, financial gain and growth. Is, is huge. We all need to have a little extra money more than we spend for our house, food, clothing, this and that, right? But there, I learned, I learned fairly quickly that it was a lot more than that. Success really is, you know, a feeling that you are providing something of value that made me feel successful. Uh, in the beginning, when maybe some of my clinical things maybe didn't go as great as I thought they should. Again, I was a new dentist. Was it bad? No. But did I think I could do better? Yes. But when I finally got my skills honed in enough to where I really was doing what I thought was just A, A quality work, not C plus B minus work, whatever. That was passable, but right, but really good. And I'm really giving value to that patient. That's success. Having a blend of, you know, home, work, recreation, you have to, you have to balance all those things. And I think, I think balance 
and having the balance that's good for you and your family, I think that's the biggest success. Because it isn't just about money. I mean, I've seen some of the biggest houses and these giant boats uh, down around like Florida, like say Naples, they've got a channel and there's all these giant houses or these giant boats. And you never see anybody there. You never see anybody on them. Why? Because they're probably working themselves to the bone and you see some of these uh, shows um, like I've watched Suits. I don't know if you watch Suits. Those lawyers work from like six in the morning to like 10 at night. Is that balance? I'm sorry. I don't care how much money you're making. If that's good for you, good for you. That's not balance. I don't think that's a successful life. I think you burn yourself out and you are missing all kinds of things with family, friends, social, you know, health. You have to, you have to figure out a way to have all of those. Now, the one may not be higher than the other. You may not then make as much money as you could have, but if you're making that much money, but you can't spend any of that money on anything or don't have time or never see your family or your wife or your husband or friends, what in the hell are you doing? I'm sorry. That's not success. Not to me. Thank you. I asked that question because I'm always wondering, I mean, it was part of my keynote uh, presentation to success equate to happiness. Yeah. And I'm always wondering talking to my guests and talking to other business owners. I mean, what is success? Do you consider yourself a success? Um, very often, I mean, one of the things I will share it is a lot of times we say we're not yet successful. Like we got to this point, we thought we were going to be successful, but we're not. It's the next step and the next step and the next step you know, whether you're making a million dollars an hour and you want to get to five, you want to get to 10, you want to get to 50, um, whatever that number is, that sometimes is there. Um, where we ultimately end up seeing the success is looking back on our life and yeah. seeing, yes, I actually did it because you have nothing more to do. And so that's really where sometimes it is. And other times it's really, I know at this moment I am successful. I've covered my kids. I've education my kids got married grandkids whatever whatever and you know all good um sometimes though is that really enough and is that happiness and that's the whole point of the keynote but 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 wouldn't it be nice too to check in and reflect more often during the journey so that you enjoy the journey right and i'm gonna tell you i was guilty of this for a while there was probably and, and i even tell my kids honestly i think there was a period of about Five to seven years in, more in the beginning, or at least once I got things going, I don't remember much. I really don't. I was so busy and so focused. I ate, slept, and drank for that dental office. That's all I did. And, and I feel a little bad about that when I look back now because I didn't, I didn't really pay attention to the journey at the time. Luckily, I caught myself early enough in the game, I guess. It, would, it didn't happen my whole 30 years. But you, you really do. You have to check in once in a while. And, and, and you know, success is it just because you didn't make that next level. It doesn't mean you're not successful now, but you're successful for little goals and you have to make those goals little. Don't make them, don't make them to hear and say, I'm not successful until I hit this. That's ridiculous. Little steps and then enjoy those wins, right? Little wins. They all add up over time and you're just as successful, but you'll do even better when you feel that success but you got to allow yourself to feel that along the way, not just not just for the pinnacle of everything that you might achieve. Because if you wait and then you get there, you might go, 
I don't feel that great, really. And you missed all the stuff in between. So, right. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're so right. I mean, it's sometimes you got to stop, smell the roses because eventually you're not going to have the ability to. And you want to have those moments where you can go back, you can reflect. And the other thing also is that if you don't really reflect, you don't know what you are not even seeing because we're so driven by blinders. Like this is the focus that we have. Like you said, you ate, drank and slept the practice. And if that's all you're focused on, you can't see if there's a potential danger that's around the corner because you're so just like the horses riding around New York city, they got those blinders on so that they don't see the cars. And we have to remember sometimes we have to focus on that. So yes, thank you for. We only live once, right? Absolutely. And Thank you can't you. go back. So you better enjoy it on the way. Yes. <laughs> so Dr. Corey, let me ask you, people have been spending the last bit of time with us in this conversation and they're really interested in connecting with you. How can they get more information about you? Uh, you can go to my website, coachingforsuccess.com. And there is a link to book a call with me. And it is a complimentary, uh, no fee call. And there's no obligation. It's just so that we can talk and see if I may be able to help. If I can help your business uh, grow, uh, help you with any of the obstacles that you're facing. And, and we'll just have a, a honest one-on-one for 20, 30, 45 minutes, whatever it takes to see if we're a good fit. Because we, you know, let's face it, I might not be able to help everybody. And I certainly don't want to go down that road, have anybody pay anything and find out that it was a waste for them or I couldn't help. I want to be able to help I want you to be able to feel that I can help and, and, and trust that we are a, a good connection with each other and go from there. So coachingforsuccess.com. Thank you. And so as we wrap up our conversation, uh, Corey, again, I want to thank you again so much for being my guest. Thank you. Appreciate and it. it's really important to keep in mind that when you think you've hit rock bottom, sometimes you really have and there's nowhere to go but up, sometimes there's still room to still go down. But it's up to you to really figure out, though, what is it you're going to do to be making that change? How quickly and easily can you pivot? Are you in a position to say, you know what? I've gone down this path long enough, and I realize at this point it's not going to work. Or are you going to be the person that says, I'm going to go down with the sinking ship. You ever look at those comics where you have the guy who's digging and he stops an inch before the gold. Sometimes we understand exactly what that means. He stops because he just went way too far. And the science doesn't say it's going to be any deeper than this point. And so he walks away based on an educated understanding. Other times we walk away because we get a feeling of, dejection we get um a feeling of worthlessness we have to understand sometimes what that means and do we have the right people at our side in the journey too knowing that you have a good coach a good mentor that's there for the journey is really going to be a key piece and i think that both you Corey, and i are certainly very uh, familiar with that feeling that our clients walk away with. 
as they're dealing with those ideas. But it's really up to you to know and seek out those people who can complement what you do, not necessarily be a carbon copy of you. And when you're hiring people, like you said, Corey, you don't necessarily want to hire people exactly like you. You want people that if you stink at sales and you're in marketing, get somebody that does sales because if you don't do sales, you need that salesperson so you can do the marketing yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. Hire those people that are really going to complement the problem areas that you have and then grow your team that way. The more that you can do that, you're going to have a much better chance at getting out of that rut and finding the gold and keeping on going from there. So again, Dr. Corey Wagner, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you. On that note, this has been another episode of Mojo, the meaning of life and business. And until next time, here's to your success. This has been another episode of Mojo, the meaning of life and business podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review, liking us, or reaching out to us. You can contact us at bgsicoaching.com and let us know what you think. Thanks so much again for listening.